Our doctor is in, and so are the doctors of Capital Health. Welcome to the all-new Health 411. Every Sunday morning at 10, Dr. Jonathan Karp, along with our respected panel of guests from Capital Health, take you on an important medical journey to help you navigate your health and the healthcare system. To reach your destination, good health. Health 411 is underwritten by Capital Health. Minds advancing medicine. Capital Health is the region's leader in providing progressive quality patient care with exceptional physicians, nurses, and staff, as well as advanced technology. Well, 107.7 The Bronx and 107.7 The Bronx. Com. We are the winner of the 2023 IBS College Media Award for universities under 10,000 students, as well as a, 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 a being nominated for a National Associate of Broadcasters 2019, 2021, and 2022 Marconi Award for Best College Radio Station. We are broadcasting from the Bronx All Digital Studios at Ryder University in Lawrence, New Jersey. Welcome to Health 411. I am your host, Professor Jonathan Karp. This Health 411 program is presented by Capital Health. Here we discuss a variety of issues affecting health and wellness, public health, healthcare policy, and the science of health and healthcare. Our goal is to expand your knowledge and perspective to give you something to think about. Today we are recording, Dan Geller and I are recording, and we're going to have a conversation about fad diets, and I welcome you to listen in. Um, let us begin by talking, I just want to briefly say, what is a fad diet? Well, a fad diet, and I'm going to quote here from an article, is not a scientific term. It's a popular or trendy dietary pattern. So this is not something that has any really scientific meaning. Um, and these, these are diets that claim to be quick, fi quick fixes for obesity. Right? Mm -hmm. And we've all heard about these sort of things. Um, and fad diets can be differentiated from traditional healthy, balanced diets for a normal of characteristics, um, including promises of rapid weight loss, the, um, the absence of a need to change your physical activity, um, the idea that the, 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 it's, they're promoting short-term changes rather than lifelong sustainable goals. They focus or eliminate one type of food and they sort of create the idea of good foods and bad foods. That makes it very difficult to maintain for long periods of time. I think the general theme here is it's a quick fix for long-term problems. There you go. And as a result of that, there, um, of if you do some of these fad diets for long-term times, certain nutritional dif deficiencies can develop. Um, and so the, and the final category related to fad diets that I think is important just to lay as a foundation, are it's a diet that fails to make uh, allowances for certain people with certain kinds of dietary um, or health conditions. For example, let's go back in time, and if we're going to talk about diets, um, let's go back in time to when I was young, your age and a little bit younger, there used to be this thing called the health pyramid. Do you, remember yes, the, do, you ever, yes. do you remember the food pyramid? Of course. And the food pyramid came about, and they started teaching it, oh, I remember back from like the 80s, right? Oh, well, earlier than that. Earlier than that, yeah. Earlier than the 80s. I think the food pyramid came about... Um, uh, if my memory served me right, it was something that came out of like the Nixon administration in the I early think, I think that's in true. the 1970s, and it was created by a bunch of lobbyists and lawyers and politicians. And the food pyramid was a great conceptual idea. Is we're going to try to 
you know, recommend dietary kinds of things. And the idea is the bottom of the pyramid has the things you're supposed to eat a lot of, and the top of the pyramid had things you're supposed to eat very, very I believe little. the bottom was what, filled with like carbs and stuff, yeah, bread, and, spaghetti, then protein, vegetables. Right, and that that's the whole point. And one of the things that was, they tried to create a standard diet for everybody, irrespective of age, health status, cultural and all things that we're going to talk about when we're talking about fad diets. But for example, a concept is if you were diabetic, if you had, you know, type two diabetes, following that food pyramid would have been a horrible thing for you to do. Yeah. Right. Yep. But but yet there were no allowances in the food pyramid for people with certain kinds of medical conditions. And a lot of the fad diets that we're going to talk about, um, I suspect we're going to talk about today are sort of the same sort of things. Um, and the, the fad diet idea for doing this was you actually generated this. idea. I did generate this idea. So, so what made you want to have to want me to talk about this with you? <laughs> well, generally, I think we just a lot of things that we talk about cover public health. And this is generally a thing that is supposedly like the point of it is to increase public health, but there's no real scientific backing to it. So I felt like it was a good idea to jump on this. Um, uh, <laughs> well, it's not one thing. So well, let me ask you this thing. Why do you think fad diets exist? Well, I think one of the major things that constitutes a fad diet is that it kind of says you don't need to exercise and you don't really need to do physical activity. And yeah, that's why. Well, it, I, I, okay, let's take a step back from that. Why do they exist? Well, remember, we live in a country and we live in a world that is increasingly obese. And we've talked about that before on, uh, on, this, on this program, um, even before you were the student producer, Dan. And we live in a country now, depending what state you're on, uh, in, you, the, your state might be between 30 and 40% clinically obese. And that's, I think, defined by having a body mass index on average over about 30. But then we could talk about the body mass index, and is that an accurate depiction? Well, whatever it is, it's, 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 they've actually changed how it's what the, all those things, that's not the point we're talking about here. But we live in a country and a world where people are increasingly heavy. And people know that they're heavy and there are both societal and medical and economic consequences of people getting larger, right? And, um, and we see it all around us. Um, but because of that, people want to lose weight. Right. And people want to lose weight and they often don't want to put a lot of work or effort into it because, you know, you know, eat less, move more. Yeah. But so there there's an entire industries have developed. Now, some of the fad diets that I'm sure we're going to talk about were created because certain people or groups wanted to treat people, let's say, with epilepsy or treat people who had autism or treat people who had other kinds of medical things. And so the idea became we can create a, a diet and maybe the symptoms of some of these other things will go away. Um, some of those are, are now considered, some of these are, are, are fad diets. But the idea is we live in a, in a country, in a world where food, right, information about food um, is people want to know it because um, in the first world nations where we are now and for worldwide, often getting enough calories, getting enough nutrients, getting it is not always a problem anymore. In our country, people are not, we don't know anybody with night blindness, 
Um, scabies. Right, right. Scurvy. Scurvy. Scurvy is what I, I think what you mean. Um, scabies is caused by like a, I think a lice yes. growing on you, which is a very, a very, very different, a different kind of thing. Um, and so yeah, we don't know many people with rickets anymore kinds of things because we get vitamins and stuff. But the idea is we live in a place where cow, where, where people are increasingly obese and there are huge industries. There's big money in this. Weight watchers. There's, you know, I could name a million. There, well, all you go. And a, a quick thing, a quick, you know, if you just Google fad diets, um, I'm looking at a list of over 25 that popped, uh, just popped up on what I just said. See how many, how many of them are out there. And some are more extreme than others. And they make these promises. And these are things that I'm, I'm sure you wanted to talk about. So you wanted to talk about these things that are out there. Um, but it, are you are you interested in finding a, a diet for yourself? Are you I'm looking not. to lose weight? No. Are you looking to stop epileptic seizures? Are you looking to purge or cleanse yourself? Or some of these some of the reasons? That I haven't are. heard of one that promises you know ending epileptic seizures. That's not one of the ones I saw. Which one is that? Um, originally, the the keto diet. Oh, really? The ketogenic diet was created. Uh, oh God, I want to say, I guess about a hundred years ago, mm-hmm. um, by a physician who claimed that it was going to stop epilepsy and people had epilepsy. Does it? Um, I think there's some evidence that it might, but that doesn't mean it was the diet. Cause what we're going to see is often people who go on these diets, um, um, it becomes a self-serving prophecy. It's sort of an expectation. They expect things to happen and they do which we know... You could talk about the placebo effect uh, sort of thing. Could be. But in terms of weight loss, it's used now primarily for people who want to lose weight. Um, and that's one of them. Um, then I'm going to put a list here. Things that, that we... The keto diet is one that's a fad diet. Let me just list some other fad diets. Um, the palate... The, Paleolithic diet, the South Beach diet, the Whole30 diet, the blood type diet, the cotton ball diet, the macrobiotic diet, the Dukin diet, the cabbage soup diet, the South Beach diet, the high protein diet, intermittent fasting, the Mediterranean diet, the Atkins diet, the zone diet, the carnivore diet, the grapefruit diet, the raw food diet, um, the keto diet we're talking about before, mm-hmm. um, and the gluten-free diet, the, gluten the juice free, cleanse diet. Exactly. So certain forms of vegetarianism are often I mean, veganism, you could call, I don't think you'd call veganism a fad diet, but it's certainly falls in the realm what well it fall it falls under a realm of it's a we can talk I don't, I don't know how you want to do this but we can go through individual ones you know it, it, I'm just gonna say if you have a diet that you are going to choose um, and a component of that diet is that you are not going to eat certain kinds of foods and then have to replace what those kinds of foods would give you by vitamins and extra supplements that you most people get from their diet um, it might not be a long-term healthy kind of diet. I think diet, that's a fair, fair, fair thing to right? say. Um, and there's different kinds of, you know, vegetarianism, you know. I mean, there's like pescatarianism. That's like one all of the different kinds of, of it that we can talk about. But the idea behind these fad diets is they promise the things that we talked about. You know, fast food, fast weight loss. No more effort for you. It sounds like a, a late night infomercial. It does. Right? And those are some of the diets that, and, and going along with that, and um, I'm just going to 
conclude this segment and say, when I went to grad school, there was a professor there um, who was studying dieting in the food industry, um, and he wrote a book saying this is what you should do about eating. A few years later, because he kept doing research, he said, well, everything I said in my first book was wrong. Here's the second book of what we really should do. Um, he made so much money doing this that he retired from being a professor and became a professional spokesperson and book person, kinds of stuff like that. You know, there's a whole enterprise of people doing that sort of stuff. But we'll come back and we will con continue our conversation um, about fad diets and here on Health 411 after some brief underwriting announcements. You are listening to 107.7 The Bronx and 1077 There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all new Health 411, underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. 107.7 Bronx. .7thebronc.com. We're recording Health 411 from the Digital Bronx Studios. Welcome back. I am Professor Jonathan Karp, and today Dan Geller, our student producer, and I are, are having a conversation about fad diets. Um, and in the first segment, we sort of talked about the the sort of the definition of fad diets, the idea that they're, they're trendy dietary patterns known for quick fixes for what is really a long-term problem because we all, we all really need to eat all the time. And I mean, let me ask you this. Why do people need to eat, Dan? For energy. Oh, why, why do people I think eat? the bare minimum reason is energy. That's why we need to eat. Um, yeah, that's the typical answer about why people eat. Um, except the, the idea that people need to eat because they need energy and that's why you get hungry um, doesn't really make a lot of sense, even if you looked around you. Remember, we live in a country in a world where people are increasingly heavy are obese or heavy. Even me, I could use to, it wouldn't hurt me to lose 20 or 30 pounds, right? I'm not <laughs> going to say yes or no to that. Yeah, well, I, I, I know what I look like. I know what I used to look like when I was your age too. Um, so if people needed to eat and got hungry because their body needed energy, somebody like me would not get hungry and not need to eat, I'm going to pick a number here, for a month, right? Because yeah. I've got all this stored energy. Yet, I get hungry and I need to eat. So I think the other reason we could talk about is pleasure. I mean, food is, it can be an addic addiction. That's one well, of that's, the we're, main, we're, major... We're, we're getting back to biology here. Why are people compelled to eat and get hungry even if they have enough stored energy in their body? And the, an the answer is not to you know, go into like the behavioral neuroscience of what happens when you swallow, what happens when you chew, blah, 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 blah. But the idea is, and we've all experienced this, is that people eat and drink because it makes them feel good. Right. And so some people have argued that one of the reasons that we live in a, 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 a increasing obese thing is because food is readily available. People eat and drink and it makes them feel good. And we know that food is one of the many things that people can be addicted to. But the, the idea that people only eat and get hungry when their body needs energy is sort of ish, a misnomer kind of stuff um, because of that. That being said, there are some fad diets. One of them is called intermittent fasting, right? Where you basically stop eating for periods of time and different versions of it. I mean, I know people who do that. Some people I know don't eat after 6 p.m. Yeah, well, we, we, we are organisms that, in a sense, have always done intermittent fasting because even if you like ate a dinner, right, and you do something and go to sleep, and you sleep for, I don't know, eight, nine, whatever hours, that's, that's a, a fast. Sense, that's, a, that's a fast. That's and what we call breakfast, break fast. Break fast, because you know you're breaking I mean? the fasting. And so 
the, the, I think the intermittent fasting diets are a little bit more organized than that. And they go sometimes where you... It's like you three go, hours you can eat this certain type of food. Three hours you don't eat. Is that, is that how they work? That's what some of them work. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know what like the main type of intermittent fasting is, but I have heard of that before. Yeah. Um, but so intermittent fasting is a kind of fad diet where it's not about what you eat. So they're not necessarily having good foods and bad foods. What they're doing with intermittent fasting is doing things like uh, the scheduled eating. Um, and, uh, you know, I think part of that comes from the idea that some people who are, who are obese are the kind of people who snack at night, get up in the midnight, and eat something, blah, blah, blah. And the idea is if you can reduce that, you know, and I get- mean, By definition, if you reduce your caloric intake, you know, that's going to help with weight loss. Mm -hmm. So is that, that's part of probably where it comes from. Yeah, and it's also, I think, that if you do these longer-term fasting things, let's say, you know, all, um, every other day eating or having different kinds of time-restricted feeding, you're forcing some of these hunger and eating signals from your GI tract to get up into your brain and increase the need for food and eating and to feel good. I mean, it's like one of those things. We are, we are biologically wired to want to eat stuff because it makes us feel good. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the feel good stuff, in a sense, the, the, is primary. The nutritional part of it is sort of secondary because have you ever been like hungry or thirsty and you chew something and swallow something and you start to feel better right away, right? Next time you eat something when you're hungry, try this out. I predict what's going to happen. Um, and I've seen data, people have studied this in humans who are, um, and I think animals too, that are swallowing um, versus, you know, just liquids or foods. There are even getting things in the stomach. There are signals from your GI tract that will go into your brain. And if you are hungry or thirsty, you start to feel better before that stuff has actually gotten into your stomach and had time to be reabsorbed into your body. So you're feeling better before any, like, before it's actually doing anything. Before it's like doing yeah, anything like in your blood. It's in like your esophagus and you're already like, oh, I drank water, good. Bingo. It's exactly, it's exactly right. So what's, what's happening is, is we have evolved this ability to want to keep doing these things um, independent of our energy needs or our metabolic needs in the moment sort of thing, which is sort of... That's wild. an interesting thing to, th to think about. I never thought about it that way. About, <laughs> really? Like your, your food makes you happy before it's actually helping you. Well, it's, it's helping you by making you happy. That's true. But, before, but you need to take some more behavioral neuroscience classes. Dude, I'm, I'm to, looking forward to, to, to it. To think about this. We also live in a world now where people are, or physicians and scientists are starting to recognize um, some of these signals that come from the GI tract, the, like the, the, the organs of the GI tract, like the pancreas, can actually signal the brain to influence hunger. And we see some of the injectable, some of these injectable weight loss drugs that are available right now are pancreatic hormones. Yeah. And the, these, the, the idea is that people inject themselves with these hormones and it's supposed to, at least in theory, decrease appetite. I haven't heard of that, but that's really cool. So, yeah, so these things... I mean, does it work or not? I don't know. But. Well, there, there's data. There are side effects to these things. Um, actually, most of these diets that we mentioned before that we, were side effects that we could talk about if you want. Um, some of the side effects from these pancreatic hormones, which you inject uh, yourself with, uh, you can't take them as pills because, like, um, insulin is also a pancreatic hormone. You have to inject yourself with it because it's a protein. And what would happen to a protein? You just break down. Yeah, break it down. Gut. Right. And so some of these other injectable hormones, the side effects like hair loss and stuff like that. But the idea is it's supposed to reduce appetite. And so you eat less. 
kinds kinds of things. But they're not fad diets because they're actually like mental treatments where you're injecting pancreatic hormones. Yes. But my point being is that if you are going to do something like intermittent fasting, um, you are basically creating hunger signals instead of satiety signals to come from your pancreas and your stomach and, um, and, and stuff like that. Um, I mean, that thing, I feel like that would be useful in conjunction with a different weight loss program you know, maybe pancreatic hormones with a gastric sleeve that could help somebody who's severely obese because it would further decrease how hungry they are. Just food for thought. Well, a gastric, those sleeves that they put around people's stomach, the idea is it's basically going to reduce the amount of stuff that you can put into somebody's stomach. It's like you're making it smaller so it can't expand as much. Um, and a lot of these diets, especially like some of these liquid diets, like the grapefruit diet or something like that, are basically caloric restrictions. So do people lose weight on them, at least in the short term? The yeah. answer is yeah, because it's caloric restriction. Some of those surgical techniques um, are basically caloric restriction. Um, the sleeve is, you know, you have less room in your stomach. You put too much stuff in your stomach. You're you just throw, up. throw it up, yeah. right? Um, uh, even some of those bypass surgeries, those you know, gastric bypass surgeries. You, what you're doing is bypassing parts of like the small intestine that are involved with nutrient absorption. So that's caloric restriction because the stuff that you put in your mouth that goes in the tube that runs from your mouth to your anus, this is, I'm gonna pretend I'm in class and talk about it. Of course. The tube that mo runs from your mouth to your anus is even though it's inside your body, it's effectively outside your body because the things that are in it, unless they are absorbed out of it, what happens if things are not absorbed out of that tube? Where do they go? Say that again? They come out the other end of the tube. Okay. Right? And so if you have nutrients, water and minerals, proteins, all the... Okay, so all the things that humans and animals need to eat. You, we need to eat to survive carbohydrates, fats and proteins and water and trace amounts of vitamins and minerals. But basically you need carbohydrates, fats and proteins to survive. All these diets, no matter which ones you pick, even among nutritionalists and balanced diet, you can argue about what ratio of carbohydrates, fats, the proteins you should have, right? And that's what all these things are sort of manipulating. But in the end, you do need to ingest these things to sort of survive. Yeah, so like something like the keto diet, for example, that's complete no carbs, right? Well, it's, it's well, no, it's, yeah, it's supposed to be really, really low. Like low, low carbs. So it's what, ketogenesis is the term for it? We um, start burning fat? And that's where the weight well, loss comes yeah, from. Well, the, yeah, the idea is you want to turn these triglycerides through ketogenesis into glucose, and your body's going to use that for energy. And the idea is if you're going to burn up these triglycerides. And that's like beta oxidation sort of thing, right? Um, um, Getting into You tell me, biochemistry I, think, I believe it is beta oxidation. That's how triglycerides are reduced to glucose. Okay. Or that, we let, that's how they get to the acetyl-CoA. Then that goes through the cycle, and then that makes glucose. Continues. And the idea is by doing that, you'd be breaking down fat. However, you know, ketoacidosis is also a bad thing that can happen in people. It's a little bit different, but it's the same idea. And it can happen like in diabetics. Right. right? Diab That's an EMS thing. That's something we're trained to like smell like fruits on right. the breath. But what you're, what you're smelling is the idea is that um, these are some diabetics who have high blood levels of, let's say, glucose, but the glucose can't get into the cells, mm -hmm. so the body is essentially insulin starving. Is it that, well, insulin that's, resistance, that, that's a little different? That, that, that's a little bit different. But it's sort of the same because it means the glucose is in the blood, but it can't get out of the blood into the, the tissues. Mm -hmm. So what happens in some people who are diabetic, and you might have seen this on the EMT vans, these long-term diabetics sometimes have wasting muscles 
right? They, 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 they don't have big, strong muscles. And though some of them are, you know, you know, ketoacidosis because their body starts to break down the proteins and the things that are in their muscles to also get the energy to survive these different kinds of But that's not what the keto diet is trying to achieve, right? The keto diet is the idea is it's trying to, you know. I mean, fat burning is the whole idea behind it, right? The whole idea right? is fat burning behind it. Um, and, you know, do you lose weight under that? Well, the data from some of the things that we looked at said, you, you know, people can lose weight doing that. It's true. But, but is it sustainable? Are there, just think about it. Because you need to make it a lifestyle. You need a lifestyle right. of keto of the ketogenic diet. Well, you know, high-protein diets for long periods of time can cause kidney problems, can cause cardiovascular disease, can cause other kinds of, you know, problems that are that are sort of going on. Um, and so is that help? Is that healthy? Um, probably not. But does that mean you can't lose weight in the short term? No, I mean, I um, think it, it does do that. And maybe, maybe you know, you do it before the summer for your beach body sort of thing. Maybe that's not too harmful. <laughs> um, the long term, no, it's not I, sustainable. I, I can't go. I don't have a beach body. <laughs> I'm like the beach whale. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, but let's take a break. I'm, I'm looking at the clock, Dan. Um, so we'll be right back with Health 411 after some brief underwriting announcements. You are listening to 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all-new Health 411, underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. We're recording Health 411 from the Digital Bronx Studios. Dan and I are having a, uh, a conversation about some of the fad diets that are out there. Um, and you wanted to lead off the segment and you wanted to talk about the Atkins diet. Yes. What is the Atkins diet? So the Atkins diet was developed in the 1970s by Dr. Robert Atkins. And it's a bit similar to the ketogenic diet in some ways because it is another low carb, high protein diet. Um, and this doctor, he believed that the metabolic imbalance that results from carbohydrate consumption is basically the major cause of obesity, right? So you take in sugar, you get fat. And so unlike the ketogenic diet where it's just low, low carb, high protein, this actually had four, four phases of his diet. It was the induction phase, the ongoing weight loss phase, the pre-maintenance phase, and the lifetime maintenance phase. So four stages of sort of how to sustainably keep your weight, weight loss high. So the first phase, which was induction, is just the carb restriction. You just restricted your carbs to less than 20 grams per day, and you would pack on the proteins. This is the part that's sort of similar to the ketogenic diet. Phase two is the ongoing weight loss phase. And so you kind of just gradually intake how many carbs you're eating and really nutrient-dense carbs. Like, for example, I don't know, a granola bar. Would you consider that nutrient-dense carbs? A gran like it depends what company made it. Some 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 of those granola kind of like food energy bars are like highly processed. It depends which ones you're eating. I know I know there are Atkins company granola type bar, like energy bars or whatever you're gonna call them. But so yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sorry for distracting your your role there, Dan. But you lost. It. Yeah, That's okay. Be a little bit more specific. Tension. Yeah. That's all right. And then, so that was the first two phases. That was induction and ongoing weight loss. Third phase is pre-maintenance. And this is you just continue to increase your carbs when your weight loss resumes, right? Continuing on. Mm -hmm. And then the lifetime maintenance is basically, you basically eat whatever you want, but you keep carbs low. So it's sort of like weaning off the carbs and then getting carbs back on when you're comfortable with your weight loss. 
Okay. Well, you bring up an, an, an interesting thing in that, it's not specific to the Atkins, but since you mentioned it, um, is that a lot of these fad diets are effective in having people lose weight, at least in the short term. The problem is, is that when you come off the diet, or you go back to a normal diet, or you go back to something else down the, low, down, down the stream, is the weight often comes back. And it's sort of the yo-yo thing, which one reason the industry is so successful is you can, you know, it's like you go on a diet, you lose weight, come off the diet, you gain it all back, plus some. And then go back on the fat diet. That diet, or, yeah. you, or you go on the next one because then you claim it didn't work. And that sort of yo-yoing is very, very common in a lot of these things. Um, and what's interesting about the, 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 the Atkins diet, which has been around for a while and people have been studying it, um, you know, is that that in the in the long term you you can lose weight, uh, and I'm just gonna uh, you know uh, just say the the long term benefits of this stuff are the kinds of things that still have to be researched, and when we say long term, a lot of these diet studies are done six weeks, twelve weeks. I think un, it's unusual to find any of these you know popular diets that are out there to have follow-up periods of more than two years, right? Because I think the data show that after about two years, the effect of these, of these things, um, you know, uh, tends to sort of go away. Um, and this particular one, the Atkins diet, which was, is it's still around, is very, very popular, um, is essentially what has, is recommended for just about anybody who's diabetic, is it not? Oh, I didn't know that. Well, look, look, at, look at what the requirements are, right? Yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's, it's essentially putting people who are not diabetic on a low-carb diet, right? <laughs> right? Yes. So what do you think about that? Well, I mean, I think it's good, right? It's good. Um, especially since at the, like in the fourth phase of it, you kind of re, you just keep your carbs in check, but you still intake a good amount of carbs. Um, right. But it's basically a low carb, higher protein diet, right? And there are, like I said, some long-term um, consequences of that. Metabolic acidosis is one of them that we talked about before. Um, there are some, you know, uh, you know, uh, certainly this is not the kind of diet you'd want somebody who is pregnant to be on, right? I would agree. Which, which, which is one of the things that pops up in my mind reading about any of these diets. And I'm, I'm going to tell make an analogy. Um, for I did my postdoctoral training in um, upstate New York near some of the Great Lakes. Right. And when you're living up there, there's, you know, people catch fish in the streams and the Great Lakes and stuff like that. And they would issue warnings. Right. And they would say, you know, if you're going to eat fish, don't eat fish that were captured in some of the Great Lakes because of the, you know, hot, heavy metal content or pollution. Yeah, we have that around here, too, like in Princeton, some of the rivers have mercury in them and stuff. Right. right. So if you, you're not supposed to eat the fish and they put out these warnings to say, if you are pregnant, do not eat the fish from the streams, locally caught lakes and streams around there. I didn't know that about Princeton, but I, I, I'll believe it. Yeah. And then you sit there and you look back and you go, okay, so if they're telling pregnant women not to be, not to eat these things, why would somebody who's not pregnant 
Why do you give them carte blanche? Because aren't heavy metals and things like They're that? They're bad no matter <laughs> pregnant or not. Whether you're pregnant or not. So if if you're going to put me, on, like, granted, I can't be pregnant. Maybe I should have the right to be pregnant, even though I can't be pregnant. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you for knowing what that reference is. But the idea is, if you're going to, if the warning label is do not use if you are pregnant, like they put, like, why would somebody who is not pregnant want to, do that also. I mean, like, do you want I'm to asking you. Oh, well, listen. So <laughs> I think a developing fetus is a lot more susceptible to heavy metals than a fully grown woman. So I think maybe that's part of where it comes from because let's say I went fishing in the Princeton Lake right now and I caught a mercury fish and I ate it. I ate <laughs> one mercury fish. I'd maybe I'd get sick, maybe, but I don't think it would cause any long term health detriment unless I ate mercury fish every day. As opposed to a developing embryo or a fetus where, like, maybe just trace amounts of mercury is enough to cause serious birth defects. So maybe that's where that comes from. Yeah, maybe, but then we are animals and our our liver, our kidneys, our urine production, our, is our, our internal structures are actually pretty good at removing toxins that we put into our bodies because we've evolved that. So maybe if we created a diet like to detox ourselves, maybe that's the answer. There's a lot of those too. Like right, detox diets. Juice cleanse, cabbage soup, grapefruit. Those are like the three. That well, the, the idea that you can detox your body from things you put into it is not a new one. Um, it, you know, the, the, it's, it, you know, I think the Greeks did it, the Romans did it. There are all these the historical kinds of things. Um, and some of them involve like purging. Some of them involve en enemas, um, you know, diuretics, laxatives, you know, uh, you know, uh, yeah, basically like anything that makes yeah. you expel waste. I don't, but like those like detoxes, they mm -hmm. don't really work, do they? There's nothing really you can put in your body that will do a better job of detoxifying your body than your own organs. <laughs> well, that that's sort that's of, sort of the thing. That, right? that that's sort of what I was getting at with you is the idea is that you know there, there there are all these detox diets, and then there are you know these you know nutritional claims you take this thing it's going to detoxify your body well what they're probably doing is they're giving you supplements and things like that that are going to mimic some of the things the liver does like glutathione and stuff like that um you know um but there are other kinds of we're not talking about like medical treatments here we're talking about these diets but the idea is that if you can detox your stuff just some of these naturopathic you know, claims that are out there. Um, you can treat, you know, gastrointestinal, autoimmune, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, um, all these sort of things. Um, and there are, there are, <laughs> you know, here's a list that has like seven or eight um, of these, you know, commercially available detox diets. And they go by names like, you know, the liver cleansing diet, the lemon detox diet, the, you know, clean cleanse, the Martha Vineyard detox, the weekend wonder detox, the, f the fat flush. The it's all very like gimmicky names, you know, sort of wants to get at you. Um, well, the, you know, the names are whatever Martha's they are. Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, which, is, which involves a bunch of herbal teas, soups and powders and stuff like that. I mean, I love my o herbal tea, but yeah, often they're trying to sell you stuff which is something to be wary about too. Yeah. And, and this is one of the overriding things in some of these diets. A lot of them are, you know, although we would like to, um, you know, talk about diets in, in, in terms of weight loss, um, really, if you want to lose weight and have a healthier, lose, a healthier long-term lifestyle, it's basically a lifestyle thing. And that lifestyle, a component of that is increasing activity, increasing cardiovascular fitness and all that movement 
you know, go on, for a walk, 20 minutes, 20 minutes of some kind of exercise a day is all you really the idea is to move. Right. And a lot of these diets, what makes some of them fad diets is they promise to promote some of the things related to wellness in the absence of the movement. If you mm. just do this, you're going to be better. Yeah, the major, I think that's one of the major defining factors of a fat diet. You don't need to move. You don't need to move yeah. more. You so can, I actually have like a list of things that go into a fad diet on this research paper I found. And so the first one is missing food groups. It's nutritionally inadequate. It promotes short-term changes, has maintenance issues. It's detrimental for those with chronic diseases. There's inconsistent scientific evidence, and it promises rapid weight loss. And that sounds like what we've talked about so yeah, far. Yeah, it is. It is. So that, that's some of the things that we talked about to sort of define these fad diets. And I also want, in my mind, I worry about any diet that tells you, well, you go on this diet, but then you need to take some vitamin pills to overcome the... The side the, effects the, or whatever. The, the, well, the nutritional I mean, yeah. de deficiencies caused by the, di the diet itself, uh, which is something to be, to be wary of. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, where was I going with that? But the idea is that the idea is that there are all these kinds of detox diets out there. A lot of them try to sell you stuff. They're making money off it. And like I said, it's a huge industry. And one of the hallmarks why people want to lose weight and be healthier. So they, they want to lose weight so they're healthier and they live longer and have a higher quality kinds of life. And to do that, you need carbohydrates, fats, and proteins, water, and trace amounts of vitamins and minerals of a whole bunch of varieties that are nutritionally complete. A lot of these things do not have all that, um, and it's just something to be aware of, especially the ones that claim to do it in, in a short amount of time. Um, and so we are going to uh, break for some underwriting announcements. You're listening to 1077 The Bronx or 1077thebronc.com. There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all-new Health 411, underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Welcome back to Health 411. I'm Professor Jonathan Karp, and Dan and I are having a conversation about fad diets. Um, and <laughs> I don't, I don't want to you know, express my wonderment with these things more than... I want people that have something to talk about and have an open mind. But one of them that I hear a lot, and I know you hear a lot about now, is the paleo diet. Paleo You're diet. nodding. What is the paleo diet? Dan? So the paleo diet is it's the idea that our bodies are better adapted to eating fruits, vegetables, nuts, and seeds, and generally just raw, unprocessed food than we are at eating, I don't know, canned tuna or something like that, something processed no. in general. No, well, yes, y yes, and... Um, I don't know how much processing, when people talk about processed food, they're usually not talking about tuna fish. They're talking more things about like hot dogs. Okay, yeah. You know. Burgers. Um, depending some, depending on the how they're put together. They're talking about uh, foods that, have, that don't look like what they occur like in nature anymore, right? And so my understanding of the Paleolithic diet is it's a, the idea is that, you know, humans have evolved to eat things that they basically find in nature, right? And therefore, we should be eating those things all the time instead of eating, you know, what we call commercially pre prepared kinds of like foods, right? Like processed bread, like Wonder Bread would certainly not be part of the, you know, 
hell, not the pick on Wonder Bread, but like you know, highly processed. Well, 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 what white, makes Wonder Bread different from well, like a, a, a natural <laughs> loaf of well, bread? Well, it, it, it's because you go, you're farther and farther refined. You get farther and farther away. I mean, isn't all bread processed food? It is, but there are different degrees of it. Some of the grains are sort of like whole grain bread. Um, they're not as Process, there's not as many steps in the process kinds okay. of things of them. So the idea behind the, the Paleolithic diet, my understanding of it, is the idea is if we, you know if only humans went back to eating um, foods like you mentioned some of them that are sort of closer to the kinds of things that like cavemen had when they were wandering around. You forgot to mention that you know meats are okay in that, but it's sort of like naturally caught meats. Yeah, so it's, right? it's, and it's I think it's sort of like you don't cook anything as part of it. Like no fire, no heat. <laughs> well, um, yes, but one could argue that the sort of the control of fire was one of the things that made humans unique. The domestic uh, the domestication yeah. being able to control and because it. even monkeys now they use tools, so we can't say that's, <laughs> well, that makes us unique. Yes. But the idea is to get get away from processed foods, get away from you know you know processed dairy products. Um, I don't even think you're supposed to have tea or coffee on the Paleolithic diet. Um, but the idea is that these sort of things um, require, if you're going to have that kind of control, which again is that there's good foods and bad foods, it's very restrictive. To be able to be on the Paleolithic diet, you're essentially saying that you are a first world person, that you have the economic resources to do that. Um, and that's a lot of, that's one of the problems in terms of the obesity epidemic in our, in the U.S. where we started. It's interesting. And worldwide is because, you know, you know, if you are that hungry and you are, you, you know, you don't get to, you know, complain that, you know, something is not just right if you are hungry or starving, you know what I mean? Um, and you eat a lot of different things to get carbohydrates, fats, and proteins. You get really picky if you're a first world. Yeah, patient. it's interesting because it's sort of like the paleo diet is a first world thing now. Oh, absolutely. You know, that's that's the whole point. And it's like, you would expect, oh, maybe like more underdeveloped nations would be sort of part of that. But I suppose not. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose not too. Um, but the Paleolithic diet is something that's very, very popular right now. The problem is, you know, humans also need the, like you're not supposed to have like milk or dairy kind of process products, which are processed, right? Like cheeses and things. Um, but that's actually a big source of certain, like say, calcium for humans. Yeah. Right. And if humans don't have enough calcium, especially older humans, you know, you have osteoporosis. You those kinds of, you know, there are nutritional deficits that can come out of that. You know, high meat, high meat kinds of diets can result in, you know, cardiovascular program problems or, um, you know, um, irritable bowel syndrome, and there are there are consequences like that. Um, it, but there are, like I said, the the Paleolithic diet is created to try to reduce things uh, like, you know, insulin resistance that you mentioned before and metabolic syndrome that are a consequence of the overabundance of carbs that we have all around us. Um, so one of the claims of like the paleo diet is we're, we were, we're evolved to eat from nature, directly from nature, unprocessed. So we must do that now. But is there an argument for that we have evolved past that and now we have evolved well, there, to some well, level? There, to I, I think foods? the people who promote this say things like, you know, evolution takes a very long time. Evolution does not happen like in a lifetime. Evolution is, you know, an 
inherited changes in DNA over time. Yeah, but how much time? Well, well, right? that that's one of the things. It's like you know, if you look at the amount of time that humans have been around, it hasn't been that long. We've created all these environmental things around us. We've changed our environment, but the the idea is that the human evolution has not kept up with the is much slower than the environmental changes that we've caused by manipulating it. However, that using that same logic, there's a lot of other problems we have with that because the whole idea of using medicine and intervening in diseases and a whole bunch of other stuff is the idea is that we're changing the course of natural evolution. So we have survival of the less fit. Every time we heal a child or we keep a child from dying or we keep a mother in childbirth from dying in childbirth, we're letting these narrow people with these narrow birth canals to survive and not die because now we can do c-sections every time we immunize and we prevent somebody from dying of you know measles mumps well, I mean, we're controlling natural selection we're controlling natural selection we, we are absolutely doing this so we have survival of in terms of evolutionary output survival of the less fit right and but yet some of these you know paleolithic diet because of human evolution well maybe we have a lot of people around or surviving who would not have survived so on we, the paleo diet. On the paleo diet. For example. Yeah, we have a lot of them worldwide. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just one of those things. Again, one of the hallmarks of, of, of a good long-term, of a good diet is one that you can do for long periods of time that is sustainable, right? And the paleo diet is certainly one of those things that people use for at least short-term weight loss, right? Because we live in a country and a world that is increasingly obese. That tells us, you know, that calories are not the problem, right? There are plenty of calories out there. And we can't talk about, I'm looking at the clock, we can't talk about diets and weight loss without talking about things. And um, I sort of mentioned it quickly before when we were in the paleo diet, some of the economic realities of who gets to choose what they eat. Right. In, if money is tight, what you want to do is you want to fill up your kids right? and, you want, and you want you want them to feel good. Mm -hmm. And there are economic limitations, especially in large cities and in inner cities. These are food deserts where people don't have fresh fruit. People don't have fresh nuts. People don't have all these fresh kinds of things that stores don't want to because people can't afford them. They rot on the shelves if they buy them, right? I mean, the f cost of food's going only going higher and higher. Well, well, we live in right now, there's a time where inflation is very, very real. So a lot of these diet, my, you know, I'm gonna get on the soapbox, a lot of these diets, quote, that, quote, people, unquote, that, diets. that people do are, you know, first world problems because, you know, we, are people who get to choose what to eat. We have we live in a society where a lot of people don't get to choose. We live in a society where our government subsidizes the car. Remember the food pyramid we talked about in the beginning subsidizes these, you know, the 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 fructose industries, corn syrup industry subsidizes like you know the processed you know the the cheese industry. I mean, food is a drug and it's a huge industry for sure. It is, and our government and you know farmers are we need farmers absolutely. No farmers, no food. You see the bumper stickers yeah, everywhere. Absolutely, and remember these diets too. They often ignore what are often cultural differences, 
right? One of the you know sort of fad diets that's used out there is something called the Mediterranean diet, and that is the idea came about because people observed you know going back you know 50, 60 years that people who live around the Mediterranean, um, despite eating a lot of oils and drinking alcohol as part of their culture, have less cardiovascular disease than some of the other co- countries in the world, some of the Western countries where they eat a lot of you know meat and stuff, especially cows and stuff like that. And so the idea is, could the point about getting off on it, looking at time, is the idea is that there are these cultural differences that result in health differences among people. And the Mediterranean diet is one of those sort of fad kinds of diets that's out there. But the problem is, if you live around the Mediterranean and you have those cultural things where you eat oils and fishes and all that kind of stuff, the fruits and vegetables, it is a cultural thing. It is sustainable. To do that in other parts of the world might not be sustainable. At least economically, but, right? right? Well, That's probably the major well, thing. Well, because you don't want to put barriers into people with food, good food, bad food. Mm-hmm. And that, that makes things not, you know, if you, you know, one of the classic stories is, um, you know, obesity was not such a problem, let's say, in pre-World War II Japan, right? Japan lost World War II, Americans come in and Europeans come in, and they increase the amount of beef in the diet, decreasing the amount of like fish and you know other things. And what happened is gradually the average body weight of the people who started their diet change started to go up. You know, teenage girls started menstruating earlier. You know, all these sort of things that are related to body That's a weight. Thing? Yeah, it's a thing. Interesting. And it's it's this, there's all these consequences of what we eat. And culture is a big part of it. And if you put barriers in front of people, you know, hungry people are grouchy. And, we, you know, they, they, they take advantage of that, like in commercials. You know, you eat a Snickers bar and you go from so a you. grumpy old guy like me. You become like a nice, happy student like you. Right? <laughs> um, and those are real things. So there are connections between eating and hunger and mood. And if, if you're on any one of these diets and you are grumpy and miserable and unhappy, these things are not sustainable. They're not lifestyle cho- choices that people engage in. You mentioned, too, that you, sometimes people go on these diets and you can lose a lot of weight for like, I don't know, what do you call it, bikini season? or for, Yeah, just summer. <laughs> That's or, what I said. Or, or for, for whatever it's going to be, for a role in a play or something, yeah. right? You know, they might work in the short term, but you know, you're grumpy and miserable and unhappy. Um, and then you have to just choose if you want to do it or not. Okay, you're telling me to wrap things up, Dan. I am. Okay, I am. This is 107.7 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. We are recording Health 411 live in the Digital Bronx studios. Thank you for listening. This program is part of Capital Health and Ryder University's efforts to bring, to bring people together to address issues associated with all aspects of health and healthcare. We hope today's conversation between Dan and myself about diets and some fad diets that are out there. It's giving me some things to think about and some things to research if you decide you want to do one or more of these things. If you have questions and or comments about this program or want to make suggestions for future broadcasts, please email us at help411 at rider.ed. Remember, you have a doctor's appointment scheduled for every Sunday at 10 a.m. Don't miss the all-new Health 411 with Dr. Jonathan Karp and our expert medical guest from Capital Health. You can listen to Health 411 anytime on demand. Go to 1077thebronc.com slash health411 to listen to past episodes or tune in every Thursday at 9 a.m. to hear the weekend rewind edition of Health 411. Health 411 on 1077 The Bronx is underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. Capital Health is the region's leader in providing progressive quality patient care with exceptional physicians, nurses, and staff, as well as advanced technology.